It was July of 2015, and Mick Fanning is getting ready to face the storm of his life. It's in Jeffreys Bay, South Africa. It's the final competition. There were 36 world pro surfers, and now there's two, Julian Wilson and Mick Fanning. Mick Fanning is waiting for his wave. And if he catches the right wave and rides this baby just right, he might be able to beat his friend and competitor, Julian Wilson. When all of a sudden, Mick Fanning senses some ominous creature behind him. And it's a great white shark. It's a 12-foot, 2,000-pound great white. And Mick Fanning puts the surfboard between him and the great white... And fortunately, providentially, the great white gets the leash that's wrapped around his leg in its mouth and cannot chew on him, cannot bite him. Julian Wilson, his friend, but his competitor, sees the shark attack. Instead of swimming away from the shark, he swims toward the shark. Now, everybody lived. Nobody got even a stitch. But I'm going to show you this because I know, again, this is a high-tech crowd. I'll lose you. You'll Google this. So I'm just going to show it to you, okay? (laughs) I don't want to lose you during the sermon. So watch this shark attack. If you're squeamish, close your eyes for 45. Now everybody's going to watch it now. Close your eyes for 45 seconds and watch this Mick Fanning, Julian Wilson shark attack. Miraculously, both men were fine and safe. That's not your storm. That was his storm. But everybody in this room has a storm. If I had enough time with every one of you one-on-one today, within a matter of three or four minutes, you could all tell me there's a health storm, there's a relational storm, there's a financial storm, there's a vocational storm, there's some storm in your... Everybody in the room is either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or I can guarantee you at some point else in the future, you will be in a storm. That's not our storms. I'm not a world professional surfer. I don't get in the water. I know out there, you know, 50 miles trying to catch amberjack, there are fish bigger than me. I don't get in the water out there except to cool off. That's not my storm. But you've got a storm. But it was his storm. It was Mick Fanning's storm. And so at 2015, he said, I'm never going to surf again. Five days later, he has a conversation with his mother, or maybe she has a conversation with her son. And she tells her son, he can quit pro surfing, but surfing you were designed for. So the next day, he goes to another country, to another beach, all by himself, 
and he has to face the storm of his life. Will he get back in the water? Will he ever be able to surf again? And so fast forward to 365 days to last month. Last month, right at the same place, back at Jeffrey Bay, he again has beaten all 34 competitors. And it's now the last heat, the last wave of the last day, and he has to have the ride of his life to win the entire championship. So this is not the shark attack. That was a year ago. He gets back in the same water where the great white, presumably, is still swimming, and here's what he does, and he wins the competition. Watch this, 22 Bound seconds. The best wave of the final yet. Right here with a critical first turn. Huge float. Still has plenty of speed for this turn. Leans on that back foot, releasing plenty of power and has more wall to work with down the line as he releases that tail. That's got to feel good. And the big numbers coming Fanning's way are 9.93. And he moves into the lead. And he wins. Miraculously, he faced the storm of his life and he wins. Our book today has a crowds and crowds of people who are facing the storm of their life. They're undergoing intense persecution for being a believer. In fact, as we read the book of 1 Peter, we see a group of people who are under pressure. They're under persecution. They're under incredible suffering. And these folks have a steadfast faith. In fact, it's amazing. They're so different. How could they be so unique? Well, the Christians in that day and age did not live for themselves. They lived for the life that was yet to come. Now, I just want to illustrate this with a life jacket. Everybody knows what a life jacket is. Everybody gets what a life jacket is. But usually, the life jacket is about you. And so, so many people, so many believers even, are trying to put the life jacket on themselves and preserve this life. Peter's writing to a group of people who are not trying to put the life jacket on themselves. They weren't afraid of death. They weren't afraid of persecution. They weren't afraid of pressure. They were trying to help preserve the lives of other people. This is an amazing group of people. So what takes place in the book of 1 Peter is they didn't fear death because they weren't living for this life. They were living for the life to come. Christianity suffered incredible persecution for the first 300 years. Every Roman emperor for the first 300 years was anti-Christianity. And Peter is writing in about AD 60, and under AD 60, there's a Roman emperor named Nero, and Nero took Christians, poured tar and pitch all over them, and basically lit them up as light posts in his courtyards. There was no more cruel emperor against Christianity than than Nero. And yet Peter writes to the people and says, don't be afraid. Jesus said kind of the same thing, didn't he? Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Fear those who can kill the body and the soul. And so here's a group of people. It was amazing. They are so different. So what does different look like? What different looks like, it means I don't just like go to church. I mean, anybody can come to church, right? I don't just go to church. I, I, I become the church. I, I grow and I, I am the church. I don't just throw up a few prayers. 
And by the way, I read this statistic like this past week that even non-believers pray at least once a week. I don't know, maybe they're hedging their bets. I don't know what they're doing. But even non-believers pray once a week. It's not that I just I, I throw up a few prayers, but it's I learn to be a woman of prayer. I learn to be a man who prays. What does it look like to be different today? It doesn't mean that I just like read a few Bible verses and kind of read over it. It means I allow the Bible to read me. And when the Bible reads me, it changes everything because I recognize I've got to grow. I recognize I've got to change. I recognize I've got to repent and confess my sins. What what does it look like? Well, anybody can throw in a few bucks. But what it looks like is I leverage my life, my money, my time, my talent. I leverage everything for the kingdom of God because I'm not trying to save my life. I'm trying to help preserve the lives of other people. I'm trying to help other people come to be able to live forever. And so these early Christians, it was said about these early Christians that they didn't fear death. Christianity began to change about 165 A.D. 165 A.D., there was a window, there was a door, there was an opening that Christianity then started being noticed by the Romans. And so in the Roman Empire, here's what happened. There was a plague. A giant plague took place in A.D. 165. We're not sure what the outbreak was. Most infectious disease doctors think it was smallpox, but we don't really know. But the symptoms were identical to smallpox. And so what happened is, if you were a Roman and somebody in your family got the symptoms, you got kicked to the curb. doesn't matter if it was mother, father, Grandmother, granddaddy, baby brother, baby sister, it didn't matter. You had the symptoms of smallpox. You got kicked to the curb immediately. And so Galen, one of the physicians of the day, began to write about the Christians. Because the Christians went out in the streets and they began to pull those people with smallpox symptoms or whatever the disease was into like the very first crude shelters, which I guess became hospitals later on in life. But the believers themselves got smallpox. The believers themselves died. And the believers themselves would take in not just their own family members, but the believers would take in the Romans who were known as the infidels. And the Roman emperors began to write, how could they do this? These believers do not fear death, and they realize they don't live for this life. They live for the life that is yet to come. So here's my question to you. Are you living for this life, or are you leveraging your life for the life to come for other people? And when Peter writes... They're in intense persecution. There's amazing pressure. There is suffering all over their country and their culture. They didn't fear death. You know why? They weren't living for themselves. They weren't living for to preserve their lives. They were living for the future to help other people to also be saved. So I want to start this morning with some, just some attitude about suffering. Because as Americans, we don't like pain. We, we avoid pain. We do everything we can to avoid pain. And I just wanted you to hear a different attitude from a group of people who were steeped in the middle of pain and suffering. 
Let's look at some verses on the attitude of suffering by Simon Peter in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Peter says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that, you're, that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, and he says, by the way, gold perishes even though it's refined by fire, so the genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is future tense, not now, but when he is revealed. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, listen to the attitude. You're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good. In other words, he said, you're going to suffer. You're going to have a storm. Everybody in the room is in a storm. You're coming into a storm. You're in a storm. You're going out of a storm. You're going to suffer. But it's better if you're going to suffer that you suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That's the life to come. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, and they should continue to do good. There's a line in this movie, um, What a Girl Wants. Anybody watched that movie before, What a Girl Wants? Raise your hand. You've seen the movie? All right. There's a line in this movie, What a Girl Wants. It's kind of a chick flick, but anyway, um, I'm watching it with the girls at home. And in this movie, What a Girl Wants, the, the guy's about 20, and she's about, I don't know, 17 or 18, and he's, he's in a little boat, he's in a small boat, and he's moving in for a kiss, okay? So even if you don't believe in Jesus this morning, guys, I'm going to give you the greatest pickup line, and it's going to work, okay? You'll get a smooch out of this. So in this boat, in this boat, this guy says to her, he said, why are you trying so hard to blend in when you were made to stand out? Of course, it works, and she lights up, and he gets a kiss. It was great, all right? The Christians weren't meant to blend in. The Christians were meant to stand out. The Christians were meant to be unique. And so they're going through all this suffering and all these kind of hardships and all this kind of pressure, but they realize that it wasn't about this life. The sooner you grasp this, the sooner you recognize that someday you're going to die, 
the sooner you figure out that just like the game of Monopoly, everything goes back in the box. The sooner you figure that out, the freer you are to take the life jacket off of you and to be able to be a preserver for the Christ and for the King and for all of His people. The sooner you understand that you were not designed to be like everybody else. You were destined to be different. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit, which helps us to change and transform. And so we begin to be loving and faithful and kind and joyful and goodness and self-control. We, we begin to we fast and pray and we get these breakthroughs. We begin to forgive people that really don't deserve to be forgiven. We begin to embrace people that really have all kinds of hurts and problems and needs. The sooner we figure out that we are different, we were not designed to blend in. We were designed to stand out in a good way, in a healthy way, in a faithful way. Your life, well, you can live it for yourself, but it all goes back in the box when it's over. Now, I don't know if you figured this out yet, but one out of one people die. It's still 100%. So far, it's 100%. And so there's an opportunity for you and for me to be so different. So how did these folks who lived with intense persecution and pressure how did they face life without fear? Well, let's go back to 1 Peter and look at some of these verses, okay? Here we go. They had, they had this amazing hope. So Peter is writing to all these people in their different towns and communities. Let's go to verse 2. He's writing to them. He says, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. So how do you have hope? He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now this is amazing. Camp out on this verse for just a minute. In Christ, you have an inheritance not for this life, but for the life to come that can never fade perish or spoil. Let me say that again. Not in this life, but in the life to come, you have an inheritance that can never fade, perish, or spoil. Where is it? It's kept in heaven. Heaven is keeping your inheritance safe. Look at the next verse. Who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. And he's saying, it doesn't get any better than this. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or without defect. And so what he does then in the book of 1 Peter is he tells us, you've got a hope that's just unbelievable. You've got a hope that's, that's kept in heaven for you, and, and then he tells you how to live. And so he talks about holiness. And we always kind of get the holiness like with the rules and regulations. I wouldn't look at it that way. The holiness aspect of what he gets ready to tell us is that we've been set apart. We're different. 
We're set apart. We're not like everybody else. We're set apart in our speech and in our character. And so he's got a bunch of stuff he talks about with holiness. But the holiness is not rules and regulations to cramp your style. The holiness is to set you apart so you can help people with preserving their life and their future. Look at some of the holiness pieces. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. Again, this is the future when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy. And the word holy here means be different, be set apart. So be holy in all that you do. For it's written, be holy just as I am holy. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. There's no slander in Christians, slander of every kind. Like newborn babes, you get up every morning and you crave pure spiritual milk. Every morning you wake up, I want to spend time with you, Jesus. I'm on my way to work. I'm going to put the U version on my phone. I'm going to put the Bluetooth through my car. Whatever it is, you are spending time like a newborn baby that wakes up and is hungry. You wake up and you're hungry for the things of God. What do you have in store for me today? Who am I? What do you want me to do? And you just drink and you drink and you drink from God's well. And he restores you. And we grow up. And isn't that what we're all doing together? We're all growing up. None of us are grown up, right? But we're growing up. We're all in this process of growing up. This is one of the reasons why we all need each other. We all need each other to lock arms and to lock hearts and to help each other to grow up in our faith like newborn babies. We crave it, and then we grow up in our salvation because we've tasted this, and we know what it's like to be in the will of God. We know what it's like to be in the center of the fairway of the will of God, and it tastes good. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and they glorify God on the day that he visits us. What a great story. What a great place to be. God wants you to help you through the storms of your life and through the storms of my life. Well, let's talk about this for a few minutes now, okay? If, if you're hanging around a bunch of negative people, I'd get some new friends. I would. You see, I, I don't know what's going to happen to America, and I don't know what's going to happen to the world. But I can tell you exactly what's happening in the church. If you've got a bunch of doomdayers, people around you, that everything's doom and gloom, and like Harry Truman said, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. How many of you remember Harry Truman from history? Okay. If you've got a bunch of those kind of friends, and they call up and say, I want to go to dinner, find some new friends. Go to dinner somewhere else with somebody else. If you've got all these people around you saying, oh my gosh, the church, the church, the church, it's just the churches are closing and pastors are quitting. Well, yeah, some churches are closing, and they need to close because they're old, and they've lost their vision, and they've lost their focus. And yes, some pastors are quitting, but maybe they were never called by God in the first place. I, I don't know, but here's what I do know. 
I do know that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. I know the power of the gospel is changing and transforming lives in every tribe, every tongue, every nation. I know in my short lifetime, the church has changed and transformed and is healthier now at this point in my life than it was even 25 or 30 years ago. Churches are growing. Churches are larger. Churches are healthier than they have ever been. And Jesus Christ promised, I'm going to build my church. Now, Jesus Christ built his church through 300 years of persecution. And the first 400 years, there wasn't even a Bible. How did the church exist for the first 400 years without the New Testament even being in a canon? I don't know except the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus made this promise 2,000 years ago. And he is planting churches. And he is growing you and he's growing me. And he's transforming people all over the world. The biggest dropout rate in the church is 18 to 26 years old. And back when I was in college, that was a big percentage of the dropout rate. That percentage has gone down drastically in the last 25 years. And here's why. We started figuring out that we spoon-fed all these kids for 18 years. And then when they turned 19, we started asking them to serve and give and be a part of the church. We thought, that's really dumb. And so student pastors figured out, probably not too many senior pastors, but student pastors figured out that we're going to get them involved. And so even down in fourth and fifth grade, we've got our students serving. By the time they get to middle school, we've got them serving. By the time they get to high school, we've got them serving. Why? Because they've got to have ownership because it doesn't revolve around them. You want your kids with Stephen Law, our middle school pastor. You want your kids with Griffin Gilstrap, our high school pastor. You want them to own what's going on in those, in those ministries and missions. And the reason is that when they go off to the military, they go off to college, or they go off to vocational school, their faith goes with them because their faith is in them. Big difference. Big difference. You've noticed that we have five or six different teaching pastors. You noticed that last week we had a 28-year-old teaching pastor who hit a three-run home run over the left field fence. You saw that. You observed that. And, and we don't apologize for that. I, the weeks that I'm not preaching, I'm leading or doing some project or mentoring or whatever. But we're going to continue to raise up more and more teaching pastors. That's what you do. You build the kingdom of God. You make it stronger and healthier and healthier. You've observed that we've got five or six different worship leaders on stage. You have observed that we've got a whole bunch of young people leading us in worship. And they get it right 99.9%. Now, they're not going to get it right every time. But we're going to give them grace. We're going to give them freedom. And on Tuesday, I'll fix it. But we're going to give them grace and freedom. Okay? I'll fix it. I wish you could see our staff meetings. Our staff meetings, yes, we've got team leaders and lead teams, and we work on budgets and money and strategy and vision, all that, but not in our staff meetings. One-hour staff meetings. It's a church service. And we get together in our staff meetings, there's 30 of us maybe in the room, and we pray and we sing. They bring instruments, musicians, all these different folks can sing and play these different instruments I can't even pronounce, and it's a, it's a kumbaya moment. It's a church service. It's a our our staff meetings are, are meetings where we praise and honor God. I wish you could see our elders' meetings. 
oh my gosh, 11, 12 years ago, we're meeting as elders and we're over bills and budgets and we're just spinning our wheels and running into each other. We don't do any of that now. We got three staff members, three full time staff members that take care of all the business. Our elders meetings, we're on our knees. We're talking about spiritual transformation. We're talking about our own connect groups. We're talking about our own faith. And the more as elders, and elders mean that we pray and exalt Jesus Christ, the healthier and the healthier this church becomes. I wish you could see one of our elders meetings. It is truly a revival. This is the church. This is what God designed us to be. And the church is not about you. And the church is not about me. The church is, the sooner we figure out how to take this thing off of ourselves, me, 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 and be able to be a contributor and make a difference for the church and the difference for the kingdom of God, your life will fall into place. Because I guarantee you, you're going to have a storm. I cannot prevent storms from your life. But if your attitude is, I'm going to live not for this life, but for the life to come, it really doesn't matter what storm comes. Because you're not living for this life. You're living for the king. And you're living for Jesus. And you're leveraging your time, your talent, your money, your energy, whatever you are, whatever you have, for the king of kings and for the Lord of lords. And that's your opportunity. So the question this morning is, which of these two lives are you living? What are you living for? Are you living for you? That's a dead end. But you have that option. You have that prerogative. Are you living for you? Or are you living for the life that is yet to come? Well, about two weeks ago, um, I was out in the lobby. It was after third, second or third service. And the guy's a lawyer, a friend of mine. And... Um, I don't know him real well, but I've seen him at Starbucks up here, and he comes to our church, and I have permission to tell this story. And so 25 years ago, he said, he said this to me out there in the lobby. He said, um, he said, 25 years ago, I met a stripper. And I thought, where's this story going, you know? <laughs> this, this, this can't end well, you know? Okay, you got my full attention. All right, go ahead, you know? He said, yeah, 25 years ago, he said, I met a stripper. And he said, um, she got pregnant for me, and... And um, he said she, she wanted an abortion. And so she wanted $200 to get an abortion. And so he did something that morning. I don't know what he did, but he was a lawyer and did lawyering things. And he told me what he did, but I didn't understand it. And he made 1000 bucks. I'm, I'm, he got my attention with the stripper. I, he lost me with what he did that morning. But anyway, he, he made $1,000. And he's got $1,000, cash the check, got $1,000 in his pocket. And he picks her up. And before they go anywhere, he pulls out the $1,000, and he says, I'll give all this to you. She said, no, I just want $200. Just give me $200. I want to get an abortion. He said, no, you don't understand. I'll give you the $1,000 not to have the abortion. She said, really? So I said, well, how'd that turn out? He said, well, he said, my son graduates next week from medical school in Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. I thought, wow, that's cool. So I, I get back, and um, I'm at my real office, which is Starbucks. So I'm, I'm at my real office, and um, I see him. This is just last week. I see him. And um, he's on the phone. He said, hey, you want to talk to my son? I said, yeah, I do. And so I talked to his 25-year-old son, who's now a medical doctor. What a story. 
And then this gentleman said to me, this attorney, he said to me, he said, you'll never know the consequences of a great decision. Wow, that was powerful. You'll never know. He made a great decision 25 years ago. Gave her a thousand bucks that she didn't have an abortion. And now there's another medical doctor in Cleveland, Ohio, helping to save lives. You'll never know the consequences of a great decision. The best decision you can make is to give your life to Christ. The best decision you can make is to join us with beach baptisms today. Be baptized. Go to the Connect Desk, guest service, sign up. You'll, you'll never know the value of that decision. Perhaps you are still living for yourself. And you've not really ever thought about this. Just to be fair, you've never really thought about taking the life jacket off yourself and living for other people. You've, you've lived for you. You've never thought about that before. That's a great decision to make. It's a great decision to make. It's an eternal decision to make. But we want to invite you to come to Beach Baptisms and just want you to see what we did last time, and then we'll come back and I'll wrap this thing up.